The title of my message today is Father, Make Us One. Father, Make Us One. And I've been praying over this for some time now. And I shared a little bit in our Friday night prayer meeting, but I think this is going to go in a little bit of a different direction. There are two opposing forces at work in the world today. There is the force of darkness. It's satanic. It's the spirit of Antichrist. And its job is to bring division and separation. It's a dividing, a divisive kind of a spirit. And you've probably heard the term before, divide and conquer. That is Satan's strategy. It's to pit people against people so that they can't see the real enemy is him. So here I am fighting with people and the devil's over here laughing. He's saying, ha they can't even see me. I'm the one that stirred all this up and now they're killing each other. That's one force that is very much alive and well in the world today. It's bringing division, hatred, hostility between this group and that group. We'll talk more about it in a minute. The opposing force is, of course, God's force. It's the force of light. It's the force of truth. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a uniter. The Holy Spirit breaks down walls, breaks down barriers, and makes one of groups that were once divided and separate. It's quite a stark contrast. And you and I need to understand this battle, this war that is going on in the world today, and it might help you to interpret some of the news and some of the stuff that's coming through the media day after day. Because some, some days you wake up and you hear about stuff that's going on, it's like, what in the world is happening? I think this will help you to understand what's happening. There are spiritual forces behind things that we are witnessing in the world around us. They're not happenstance. They're not just chaotic occurrences. These are orchestrated, planned events, planned by Satan. The Bible talks about him having strategies. Did you know that? He has plans. He has very elaborate strategies, and so does God. God says, I know the plans I have for you. God is a planning kind of a God. He has things that he has scripted thousands of years ahead of time because he's the one in charge of all those things coming about. Make no mistake, we live in a culture, we find ourselves today in a culture of division. It's everywhere you look. Women are pitted against men, men against women, blacks against whites, whites against Hispanics, Hispanics against blacks, and on and on and on the list goes. It's a culture of division. Rich against the poor. Poor think 
all their problems is because of the rich. Rich want to get rid of the poor. Divisions. All these walls between different groups of people. Satan is the originator of all of these divisions. We need to recognize that. We also need to understand that 2,000 years ago, Jesus predicted everything that we are seeing happening in the world today. Go with me to Matthew 24. A portion of Scripture that I refer to often because I think it's needful. We are in the last days, and this chapter is a last days chapter. Talks about things to expect as we get closer and closer to, to the return of Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't believe in that. Maybe it's not important in your life. It's the center of my life. I live looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. It's very real to me. It's become more real in the last year or two. And as events are accelerating in the world around me, it becomes more and more real with each passing day. Jesus Christ is coming soon. We better get ready. Matthew 24, they asked Jesus several questions. When is all this going to happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Matthew 24, beginning at verse 4. Jesus answered. He had an answer for them. His answer always fascinates me. The very first thing he says is watch out. <laughs> Say that with me. Watch out. That's not what they were asking. They said, when are you coming, Lord? What are the signs of the end of the age? Watch out. I think that says something about the attitude of heart we need in these last days. We need to be on guard. We need to be alert. We need to be watching out for what's going on and especially what's getting inside of us. Watch out that no one deceives you. Hmm. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Are you getting the idea here? I mean, a lot of conflict, a lot of turmoil. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many, say many. You'll have your chance to do all later on, but we're working on many right now. Many will turn away from the faith. Doesn't say they never believed. They were believers and they turned away from their faith. That's going to happen. Many. Many will turn away from their faith 
and will betray and hate each other. Wait, wait, wait. What were they? They were in the faith. Now what are they doing? Hating and betraying one another. Wow. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, literally that word is lawlessness, the love of most, say most, we just went from many to most. That's very troubling. The love of most will what? Grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. A couple of things I've pointed out before from this passage that I think are particularly appropriate for the the season, the culture that we now find ourselves in, which I identified as a divided culture. Notice some of the terms that we just read in this passage. Deception is mentioned a number of times. A lot of things involving conflict between humans. Wars, rumors of wars, kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation. And then it talks about persecution, being hated, being uh Betrayed, hating one another, and love growing cold. Those are all things that are going to happen in these last days. Not because I said it, because Jesus predicted it. None of these things are pleasant. They're happening. And we should not just acquiesce and say, oh, okay, that's fine. I guess everybody's going to hate each other and all this is going to happen. No. But we need to understand this has been prophesied. We're in these times now. One thing that I think is especially important for us to understand, and I don't know why all of the Bible translations, at least most of them that I'm familiar with, have gotten this wrong. It's not totally wrong, but I think they've missed the real intent that Jesus was talking about, if we can go to verse 7 again. The way it's translated here and in most of the other translations, it almost sounds repetitive. Nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Well, they're kind of the same, aren't they? A nation and a kingdom, a kingdom and a nation. But in the original Greek, the difference is quite stark. What is translated nation there is the Greek word, and as soon as you hear the Greek word, you'll figure it out. It's ethnos. Ethnos. And the actual word ethnos means race or ethnic group. It's not necessarily a nation like Greece, England, China. It's an ethnic group of people. And the context here is within one nation, ethnic group will rise against another ethnic group. Hmm. 
whole different picture. One ethnic group rising against another ethnic group. And then even amongst people who were once in the faith, betraying, hating each other, and the love of most growing cold. There be a lot of conflict, a lot of wars, a lot of fighting, a lot of violence in these last days. As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. The whole earth was filled with violence in Noah's day. And just this past week, I, I need not even talk about things that we've seen on our TVs or on our smartphones or on our computers in France and in Turkey. Violence, savagery is a better word now. Savagery. Humanity against humanity. Savage behavior. Barbaric behavior. It's very disturbing. But the only consolation that comes to me is when I return to the Scriptures and I see, hmm, Jesus said it was going to be like this. I need to be firm to the end. I need to make sure I don't lose my faith and I stay hot in the love of God. And not allow it to grow cold. Unlike some of you, I've been born... Raised in America, spent many years away from it. <laughs> but more recently, I've been back here a lot. I have never in my lifetime seen this nation so divided. Never. I lived through the 60s, civil rights, all of the atrocities that were done to uh, African Americans, black people. I saw all the hatred and all of the racism and all of that coming from the 60s through the 70s into the 80s. But I see something even more troubling now. More troubling. We're more divided as a nation, and the statistics don't lie, than we've ever been before. And it might be more appropriate to change the name of the nation from United States to Divided States of America. You can take any point and look at the polls. We're divided on everything now. As I mentioned, who's the divider? Satan. He loves to divide. He likes to divide churches. He likes to divide marriages. He likes to divide families. Put children against children. Put husband against wife. Put neighbor against neighbor. Put one uh, ethnic group against another ethnic group. Put a nation against another nation. He's involved in all of those things. He's the divider in chief. We must be very careful as Christians to have spiritual discernment and to be able to recognize what spirit is at work and more importantly, make sure we're not drinking of the wrong spirit. The good news is, in the midst of all of this, God is at work. He hasn't changed. He will build His church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. It will be a united church. It will be one body. And it will bring glory and honor and praise to God 
throughout the earth. I was really touched personally yesterday down on the mall. It, it went beyond enjoying some of the music that we even sing here in this church and seeing the actual artists perform those songs. Uh, it was beyond that. I can't put my finger on it. But I prayed before I went down there and I asked the Lord, touch my heart. Change me. I don't want to be the same when I get back from this place. And I really felt that I came back with something new inside of me. And I was greatly encouraged just looking around and seeing such a diverse group of people and yet everybody loving one another. You know, when Sister Laureen began to have some difficulties with the heat, um, I hope she doesn't mind me telling this to you, but she was unable to walk. I mean, she was in bad shape. She was fainting, and it took two of us to hold her up, and they had to take her away in a cart. And it was such a blessing to me to see folks from around us just rally around and offer their help. They were putting ice packs on her and helping to pack up her stuff, and it was so beautiful, and I was like, Shireen was sharing, this is what heaven's going to be like. Believers everywhere. People who love God. People who love one another. And there really was that feeling of community there in, in the whole place. And we didn't know these people from Adam. It didn't matter. We were all one in Christ. And there was a real spirit of love and unity despite all the differences and all the diversity. There's something else that I took notice of. And those of you that went will be able to understand this perhaps a little bit better. They had big, tall fences, a barrier completely around all of the monument grounds where the event took place because they had to have specific checkpoints for people entering in. They, they actually checked bags and, you know, purses and stuff uh, as people were entering in there caused us to be about an hour late getting in, but praise God, they, they did what they had to do. But anyway, there's this huge fence all the way around the, the National Monument, Washington Monument, okay? Inside, you have all this wonderful music, people loving one another, praying together in little groups. Outside, just outside the fence, you have all these radicals that are standing on their soapbox preaching all kinds of crazy stuff. Oh, if you speak in tongues, you're going to hell. Then you go a little bit further down, there's some other group preaching some other false gospel. And it suddenly dawned on me, you know, it says in the book of Revelation, referring to the city of God, there's a great wall around the city, and it says, outside were all the abominable, all the fornicators, all the wicked. They will not enter into the city. And I started to realize, hmm, anybody who has the right spirit is inside. Whoever is outside has the wrong spirit. They have a divisive spirit. They have a, a critical, hateful evil spirit. They want to stir up strife. Some of them were getting into arguments with people. I didn't want to have anything to do with any of that. 
It just struck me, though. Here you've got this barrier. People who have the right spirit are going in. People who have a wrong spirit are staying out. We need to be able to discern these things in these last days. Make sure you're drinking of the right spirit. Make sure you're with the right group. Okay? And it was, it was rather interesting to me to see so many of these, um, well, I'm going to call them what I think they are, weird groups outside the fence. Why not go in and enjoy the Holy Spirit? Why not go in and make some new Christian friends, hold hands with them, and pray for the nation instead of yelling and screaming from a soapbox, oh, you all are all, all you people going in there are going to hell. Whatever. <laughs> I mentioned the title of my message comes from the next and probably the main scripture I want to look at today, this and one other passage. Make us one, Father. John chapter 17. Jesus' final prayer the night before he went to the cross. Wouldn't you like to know what Jesus prayed that night? Well, we do know. Read John 17, the whole chapter. But I just want to pick out the last part of that prayer from verse 20 to 24. John 17, 20 to 24. Jesus has just prayed for his own disciples. And he said, Father, I kept them while they were with me here on earth. Now you keep them through your name. But then he adds to that. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. How many of you are glad for that? He's not just going to pray for Peter, James, and John. He's going to pray for Norman. He's going to pray for Wayne. He's going to pray for Fauci. Your name is here. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me. Put your hand up if you're one of those who will believe in me. <laughs> I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. Wouldn't you like to know what Jesus prayed for you? I sure would. How many of you believe the Father answers Jesus' prayers? I have a lot of confidence in that. Well, first of all, that all of them may be one. First item on the agenda. First thing that all of them may be one. Well, how? How one are we supposed to get here? I mean, we're all in the same place today. Isn't that enough? Apparently not. That they may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Whoa. That's a whole different standard. How one are the Father and the Son? <laughs> They're so one that theologians have battled with this for centuries. They can't understand the Trinity. How can you have three gods in one God? They can't understand the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. That's how one they are. They're one. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. But in Genesis 1, God says, let us make man in our image. <laughs> Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're one. The Trinity is a mystery. So is the kind of unity Jesus is praying for here. It goes beyond physical, natural understanding. It is a supernatural, spiritual kind of a unity that only God and Christ and the Holy Spirit can bring about. Remember, Satan is doing just the opposite. Dividing, putting up walls, creating barriers between people. Here's Jesus praying, Father, make them all one, just as you and I are. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Hope you've been with us on Wednesdays in our study about the glory of God. This gives yet another indication of why the glory of God is central to the whole gospel. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one. There's a cause and effect. We need the glory if this unity is going to take place. No glory, no unity. They must have the glory so that they can be one. And Jesus repeats it here in a little bit of a different way. As we are one. That's the standard. One as we are one. I in them, you in me. May they be brought to complete Unity. That expresses it in a little different way now. Complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. It's a very high standard. Notice, where's that noise coming from? Okay. Notice twice in his prayer, Jesus shifts for just a moment from praying for all the believers to mentioning the world. Did you notice that? First time he does it is in verse 21. Make them all one so that the world may believe. I thought the world was going to believe because I'm such a good preacher. Sorry. If only it were that easy. This is what God impressed on my heart down on the mall yesterday. The church has a great challenge 
We have a great opportunity, but we also have a great challenge. If we miss the opportunity and if we fail to meet the challenge, we can't blame the world for not believing in Jesus Christ. Some of you didn't hear what I just said. Again, the onus is on us. We want to point the fingers at them. God is pointing the finger at us. If you all don't become one, the world won't believe. I'm sure everyone in this room has had the experience of trying to share Christ with a friend, co-worker, or a family member, and the first thing they throw back at you is, look how you all hate each other. Look how divided the church is. 6,950 different denominations on one street. You all can't get along. You can't even stand each other. How do I want to become a Christian like you, and you all are hating each other and fighting like this? This is exactly what Jesus is talking about. They need to become one so that the world may believe. He repeats it again in verse 23. They must be brought to complete unity, hear these words, to let the world know. Say it with me. To let the world know. Whether they want to admit it or not, the world noticed something happened in Washington, D.C. yesterday. It's unlike anything that normally happens in D.C. Oh, you have large groups. You have large protests. People with signs and banners, angry, yelling, screaming, cursing at each other, demanding this and demanding that. You didn't see that yesterday. Nobody was demanding anything. Nobody was protesting anything. Nobody was cursing anyone. Everybody with their hands lifted to heaven, praising God. It's a whole different witness. That's what Jesus is talking about. When you allow this to happen, the world is going to take notice. Because remember, all they're seeing on CNN, Fox News, 4, 5, 7, 9, whatever channel you want to turn to, all they're seeing all day long and all night is murder, violence, hatred, and racism. That's all they're seeing. And when they see all these different people peacefully gathering together, not angry, not shouting, not demanding anything, but just praising God, and loving one another, it gets their attention. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. It doesn't say that they need to go out and preach. Now, don't get me wrong, we're supposed to preach. But it doesn't say, so when they go out to preach, the world will know that you sent them, sent me. They'll know that you sent me when they see the church one. It's a pretty high standard though. And I don't want to minimize this. It's a great challenge. It's a great challenge. And we have to decide, are we going to be different? Or are we going to drink the same spirit the world is drinking? Divisive, racist, hostile demanding, protesting, yelling and screaming with anger. The only way the world, with all of its divisions, 
and wars and hostilities, etc., will be convinced is when they see something different in the church. You know, I like our little church. Look around you. Come on, don't be afraid. We're a pretty weird group. You wouldn't normally find this group of people gathering together, would you? No, 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 no. The Jamaicans would be over here. The Guyanese would be in this corner. The Sri Lankans over here. The white Americans over here. And the, I mean, even the Salvadorans would be on one side and the Nicaraguans on the other. And on and on it goes. Everybody divided up into their little group. But look what God's done. He's brought us all together. And you may not realize this. We're not a real big group, but we are a big testimony. And many people who have visited this church, later on the pastors have told me, Pastor, you have a really special group. Because you know what? They're more used to preaching in a Guyanese church or a Jamaican church, or a white church. And sadly, they're not used to seeing this uniting together of different kinds of people. We have a great opportunity, but it's also a great challenge to show the world something different. We're not like them. We don't march with signs, angry and shouting all kinds of things about this racial group or that nation or that kind of a person. But I heard this yesterday and I didn't I didn't write it down exactly, but basically what I heard was racism, hatred, division, that's easy. Unity's hard. It takes hard work. Which leads me into my other portion of scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, from verses 1 to 6. Here we go. Paul is writing, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope, when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Highlight the words in verse 3, make every effort. This isn't going to come easily. It's not going to happen automatically. 
It's something Paul is telling the Christians you're going to have to work hard at. You're going to have to work through stuff. And he gives a hint in the previous verse, you better be completely humble. Because <laughs> this doesn't work if you're proud. You better be patient, because it's not going to happen instantly. And it says, bearing with one another in love. What does it mean to bear with someone? Put up with them. Suffer with them. Now, don't raise your hand and don't look at your husband or wife. But I think everybody in the room, at some time or another, has had someone in your little circle that rubs you the wrong way. Do I have any friends? Two. They, they just, somehow, they always hit that switch that, mm, And God says, put up with them. Be patient and bear with them. Bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. As I mentioned, division... Racism, quarreling, conflict, that comes naturally. That's easy. You don't have to work at that. That stuff just kind of comes up. you got to work to go the other way. To humble yourself, be gentle, be patient, and put up with other people. Paul lists seven things here that we all have in common. And so often, we do what I call majoring on minors rather than majoring on the majors. He says you got seven major things in common that will help unite you. You're one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father. Now that won't mean much to a carnal person. That will only be meaningful to a spiritual person who understands each one of those seven things. Wow, we have the same spirit. We have the same hope. We have the same Lord Jesus. We have the same faith, same baptism, same God. And the one I like the best is we all have the same Father. Now, if we really believe that, if God is my father, okay, and God is Mrs. Leach's father, what does that make Mrs. Leach and me? Brother and sister. We use that terminology, but sometimes, sadly, that's as far as we go. We need to take it further. We have the same father. We have the same father. And in verse 6, do we have it up there? Yeah. I like this verse. You know why? 
Listen to it. We have one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Man, that's good. That's good. I was sharing a little bit about this on Friday. How many churches is Jesus coming back for? He's only coming for new life, right? We're the, we're the only right church. All the other guys on the block, they got it wrong. Now we laugh at that, but you know, that spirit is in many, many ministries. Oh, we're the ones. We've got the best doctrine. We have the holiest of everything. We're it. And they despise other groups. And it is used by Satan to bring division. The cure is very simple. Be completely humble. Be completely humble. You know, it's, it's been a long, hard road for me to come to a place where I really am quite confident to tell you I don't have it all. I don't have it all. And I look at other pastors and other ministries and I admire them and I look up to them because I think, wow, these guys got a whole lot more going for them than I do. Whereas maybe once upon a time, I was riding around on my high horse saying, boy, they don't know anything. If only they knew what I knew. God has a way of whittling you down. And if we could be humble, this might work. Be completely humble and then be brought to complete unity. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Jesus is coming for one bride. He's not a polygamist. He's only marrying one wife. And I hate to break this to you. He's not coming for a Sri Lankan bride. He's not coming for a Guyanese bride. He's not coming for an American bride. He's not coming for a Jamaican bride or a whatever bride. He's coming for one holy nation. One holy church without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. It's a very high standard. And it's going to take a lot of work. That's why Paul used those words, make every effort. You know, even nature, I'm a biologist by education. And I still teach biology. Even nature and science would teach us that we're all one. Did you know that? And it's even mentioned in Scripture, Acts chapter 17, verse 26. And somebody might be able to help me with her name, but this week um, I was so blessed to see Dr. Martin Luther King's daughter quoting this verse. What is her name? Anybody know? Huh? I'll, I'll find it out. Huh? Anyway, she quoted this very scripture, and basically, she, like I, was trying to make the difference between what the church is supposed to be becoming and what the world is doing. 
with all of its protests and violence and this group shooting that group and that group shooting this group. She quoted this verse, Acts 17, 26. He has made, and can you put the King James up, Sister D? Here it says, made from one man. I like the other one. Hath made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. Fauci, did you know that you and Chad are relatives? Your distant cousins. Chad, did you know that you and me are cousins? We are. Somewhere back there, we got the same great uncle, great, 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 great uncle. And if we all go far enough back, far enough back, we all trace it back to Adam. That's what he's talking about here. We're all related. And I've shared this here before. I shared this with my students in school last year. They looked at me like I was crazy. I came in one day and I said, you know, there are no blacks and there are no whites. What's wrong with you, Pastor Pratt? Where are you coming from? No, there are no blacks. There are no whites. What? That's right. We're all brown. Did you know that? All right, I'll give you a one-minute biology lesson. We have a pigment in our skin. It's called melanin. Some folks like me are sort of melanin-challenged. We don't have a whole lot of it, so we're lighter. Some have more melanin. Their skin gets darker. They're a darker shade of brown. But there isn't really anybody that's truly white nor truly black. Matter of fact, yesterday when I got home from the uh, event down on the Capitol grounds, I wasn't white, black, or brown. I was red. So I guess that makes me a redskin. <laughs> and I was reminded of a Facebook post that went absolutely viral back in November of 2014. This was right after the Ferguson riots and all this black-white stuff was in the media and everybody was stirred up and rioting and killing each other. And along comes a man named Benjamin Watson. He's an NFL football player, tight end for the New Orleans Saints. And he just posted this on Facebook, and the thing went absolutely viral. I'm going to read it to you. It's so good. I wish we had more voices like this in the media and in the culture now, because this is what we need to be hearing. And if it matters to you, he's an African-American. And he said, I'm encouraged, because ultimately the problem is not a skin problem, it is a sin problem. Sin is the reason we rebel against authority. Sin is the reason we abuse our authority. Sin is the reason we are racist, prejudiced, and lie to cover for our own. Sin is the reason we riot, loot, and burn. But I'm encouraged because God has provided 
a solution for sin through his son, Jesus Christ, and with it, a transformed heart and mind. One that's capable of looking past the outward and seeing what's truly important in every human being. The cure for the Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, and Eric Garner tragedies, you can add more to that list since then, is not education or exposure, it's the gospel. So finally, I'm encouraged because the gospel gives mankind hope. You know, this is what is so desperately needed in our society now. Not, and even preachers, pastors, reverends are guilty of getting involved in these things in the wrong way. We should be the loudest voice of all saying, it's not about that, it's not about this, it's about the gospel. It's about the cure for the problem, which is not skin color, it's sin in the heart. And I like how he covers all the bases. Sin is the reason why some rebel against authority. It's the same reason why others abuse their authority. It's all about sin. Continuing on in Ephesians 4 from verse 7, Paul has more to say. He says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he, Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Look carefully at the next verse. Say until. 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 Very big word. So the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers are all working to build up the body of Christ until something happens. Until what? Till we all reach unity. There it is again. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up 
in love as each part does its work. A couple of other scriptures I want to look at quickly, but I'm close to ending here. Let me recap. There are two spirits at work today. Two opposing forces in the world. You can call them different things. It's the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, it's light, it's the kingdom of God, is working to bring unity, tear down walls, and make of all nations, tribes, skin colors, races, call them whatever you want, make of all of them one new man, one body. Meanwhile, Satan, the spirit of Antichrist, is very busy building walls, erecting barriers, creating bitterness, unforgiveness, hostility, division, racism, mistrust, prejudice, and you can go on and on with the list. And it's at every level, in the home, in the neighborhood, in the workplace, in the nation, and even in the world. It's a divisive spirit. But listen in a couple of other passages from Paul's letters, how Paul had such an understanding of the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ and what they are striving to do. Turn quickly, Galatians 3, verses 26 to 29. You know I'm going to do this. You are? I can't hear you. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. This is something radical in verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, Male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now sometimes Paul, he uses extreme hyperbole. In other words, he kind of exaggerates certain things to get his point across. Now, I don't think Paul was promoting unisex, that there's no such thing as a male or a female. Last I checked, we still have both, male and female. Am I right? What does he mean then? There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. What does he mean by that? Two key words. In Christ. In Christ, those distinctions no longer mean anything. It doesn't mean that we erase the physical distinction. It's there. But in Christ, no difference. And if even male and female are one in Christ, then let's move back. Neither slave nor free, no rich, no poor, no economic 
barriers between this group and that group, like we hear so much of from the politicians now. Oh, it's the 1% that have all the money. They're the reason we're suffering so much. And on and on it goes. There's always some group to blame, and then it creates division. But you know, at the top of the list here is a group that was centuries, not just for a few years, centuries at complete odds with one another. Jew and Gentile. Here they're called Greeks. The word Greek and Gentile is used interchangeably by Paul. Neither Jew nor Gentile? That was radical even in Paul's day, but prior to the coming of Christ, it was heresy. For centuries, the Israelites had been taught and told, you are separate, you are distinct, don't marry people from the Gentile nations, don't have any fellowship, don't have anything to do with them. You are a holy people. Leave them alone. The word Gentile actually comes from the Hebrew word goyim, which means nations. That's all it means. So the mentality for centuries was, here's Israel, and then you have the nations. There was a wall between them. God put the wall there. But in the next passage, we'll see that Christ tore that wall down so that there's no longer any distinction in Christ between a Jew and a Gentile. Ephesians 2, from verse 11. I would maintain there has never been a worse racial wall in history than the one between Jew and Gentile. And if God can deal with that one, he can deal with any other one. Look what he says. Therefore, and let me stop for a second. Remember, Paul's a Jew. He's writing to a church that's primarily Gentiles. And so as a Jew, he's saying, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those like me, who used to call themselves the circumcision, verse 12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. That's how deep this division between Jew and Gentile was. Verse 13, but now, say that with me, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, note these words carefully, and has made the two one. Say that with me, made the two one. And has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall. What kind of wall was it? Hostility. A dividing wall of hostility. He destroyed the barrier. By abolishing in his flesh 
the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Only God can do that. You've heard me share the testimony of how we led Sergeant Moses in Israel to the Lord and baptized him in the Red Sea. The most amazing part of that story, though, came a little bit later on when we as a group, along with Sergeant Moses, were called to pray for an Arab man who was deathly ill. And you have to get this picture and you have to understand the mentality that's even in Israel today. This wall between Jew and Gentile. Well, the lady came up and knocked on our door and said, my husband's very sick. I know you all are Christians. Can you come down and pray for him? Sure. I don't think she bargained on what happened next. A whole group of us piles in there along with Sergeant Moshe. Moses. He never took off his Israeli army uniform. His rifle never left his side. So imagine, here's this Arab woman, Arab family, and here comes this Israeli soldier in full uniform with his boots and his rifle. And I saw it on her face as soon as we started to enter. I said, don't worry, don't worry. He's one of us. <laughs> What happened next, though, I wish we had smartphones back then and I had my video camera running. Oh, I'd be priceless. We gathered around that sick man's bed and we started to pray. And I, I mentioned this in my book. You can't make this stuff up. I, I feel like a rich man because I was there and actually witnessed this with my own two eyes. As we prayed for that sick, sick man, two things happened. The first thing is, the man got healed. Praise God, we believe in healing. He got out, out of his bed, and then the next thing was even more astounding. As he was being healed, God baptized him in the Holy Spirit when Moses laid hands on the Arab man. Hallelujah. He jumped out of that bed, and Moses and that man were hugging each other, tears running down their faces. No amount of politicians, political treaties can cause that to happen. Only Christ can tear down that wall and make Jew and Gentile one in Christ. He put to death their hostility. You know, as we find ourselves in the midst again of this divided, conflicted culture, God will use us now to be a voice. There's a better way. There's one who tore down every wall. There's one who already put to death all this hostility, hatred, prejudice, Racism, anger. And if you come to Jesus, He'll give you a new heart. If you come to Jesus, He'll heal you of all that bitterness. 
and all that stuff. And like the football player, what was his name? Benjamin Watson, he hit the nail on the head. The problem is not skin, it's sin. And there's only one solution for sin. It's the gospel. It's Jesus Christ and his blood. And that's what God has called us to be in these last days, ambassadors for Christ. And we will find ourselves in situations where we have an opportunity to speak differently from all the other voices around us. Say, wait, 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 wait. Hold it, can I just share one thing? And we'll be able to speak the gospel as the solution to the problem. In closing, the world is more divided than ever before. And yet, it's for such a time as this that God has placed us here. He's given us this understanding that this is the work of the enemy. God's work is to make one of all nations, all people, bring them together in the love of God, make them one in Christ. God, excuse me, God wants the church, that's you and me, to model to the world something very different from what they're used to. They're used to bitterness, hatred, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, get revenge, get even. They're used to all that. They don't need to hear any more of that. What will get their attention is when they see something different. When they see how we love one another. How we forgive one another. Yes, even how we bear with one another. And we have an opportunity, but it's also a great challenge, as I mentioned, to be that model of something different. Love, reconciliation, forgiveness, and unity. But it's going to take effort. Let us make every effort. In closing, I want to stand and Sister D, if we can put up again John 17, Jesus' prayer. Let's read it and agree with him in prayer for these things to be done. John 17, 20, 24. <clears throat> Ready? My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, in this world that is so filled with confusion, strife, hostility, 
You give us such clear guidance from your word. You help us to understand what you want to do, what you're like, what your spirit is doing in the world today. And God, we want to be a part of your program. We want to reject the spirit of the world, the spirit of Antichrist, all the work that the enemy is doing to produce strife and divisions and wars and all these things that we're seeing daily now in the in the media. Lord, we don't want to have anything to do with that spirit. And we reject it now. We repent if we have had anything to do with it in the past. And we say, God, fill us with your spirit. Give us your heart. Renew our minds. And help us to be a part of your work. As you are bringing all different kinds of people together in one body to represent you here in the earth so that the world may believe. God, raise up your church. One church. One bride. Without spot, without wrinkle. Help us to lay aside all the divisions and all the differences and allow the Holy Spirit to major on the majors. We have the same faith. We have the same Father. We have the same Lord. We have the same everything. You've united us as one body. And God, we know that time is short. Finish the work which you have started and help us to be diligent to labor alongside you, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Father, make us one that you may be glorified in the earth. Lord, I commit this body, this congregation into your hands. Keep us, watch over us throughout this week. Use us, place us strategically that we might be a voice for you in the midst of all the confusion and darkness, that we might be your representatives. We'll praise you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.